0: Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business, I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the minds and brands of successful leaders and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. This show is about connecting and creating conversations that matter, building your powers of influence, persuasion and ultimately communication. We explore the latest evidence-based findings in neuromarketing, consumer behaviour, business techniques tips, trends, and tricks. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business healthy. To continue eavesdropping and to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my website, brandstorm.com.au. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a transformation facilitator. She's a speaker and now an author. I'd like to welcome to the program Karen Wilson.
1: Hello, Jackie.
0: Hello, Karen. Good to have you here. Now, your book, Uh, It entertained me all weekend actually. It was called Change Made Easy and I thought to myself, wow, these expectations are high and I thought, I hope it's easy to read. It was. It was wonderful. So congratulations on on your book. Thank you. It's your first one. Is that right?
1: It certainly is. It was a labour of love, Jackie, but it eventually came to be.
0: Now, change made easier. It was interesting. It was curious. Why is change so hard for humans?
1: I find this fascinating. Change is the most naturally occurring thing, Jackie, and yet when we get involved in it, when we actively take part in it, we can make it such a challenge and difficult for ourselves. And there's actually reasons why that happens. I think the main one is that our brains are wired to keep us safe. So if we encounter anything that we perceive as our threat, our brain jumps in to protect us and it creates all sorts of physiological changes and emotional changes. And that puts us in a particular state that creates that response we've all heard of, the flight, fight or freeze response, none of which is going to help you make change.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's it's always fascinating and uh, there's obviously... It's a popular topic in business change management. There's people called change agents, which always made me laugh. It was a bit like a Get Smart skit with the with the change agent and the secret briefcase. But uh, obviously businesses have realised how difficult it is for, for their employees uh, and, you know, supplies, human beings to, to make this change. So your book, Change Made Easy, what are some of the easy ways to start making change?
1: Okay, look, the first thing I would say to any individual or business that's looking at making change is to get really clear about what that change is. Get some clarity and know what it looks like and get specific. So you can either know yourself or tell your staff, this is where we're moving to. Um, Very important also is to be able to have some milestones and checkpoints along the way, Jackie, so that people can feel that they're making progress Mm. towards that end goal.
0: Yeah, there's been uh, lots of research to do. List of effective, and when you actually cross something off a to do list, and this is being you know using the old fashioned pen and paper and you cross it off, you get that shot of dopamine, uh, which is part of your reward uh, hormone that that makes you feel good. And by crossing that off, and I think having those milestones, it's almost baby steps. Is is that part of what you do as well, that you actually make uh, changes in small baby steps?
1: Look, definitely. It doesn't have to be. This is a really individual thing. Mm. So, It doesn't matter how grand your change is, and it can be massive, but I always say break it down. Break it down into chunks that are manageable for you or your staff so that they can not only see that progress, but also get a sense of achievement. And ultimately, have them enjoy the process rather than it be a stressor for them.
0: Yes, yeah, so I love that part in the book. Uh, it was a real focus on the fun side of it and the joy side of it. Now, I get sent a lot of business books and a lot, talk, a lot of these books talk about change, and and they talk sort of similar what we've been talking about, but they miss the bit of it should be about fun, it should be about enjoyment and, and positive, not this labour of, oh, it's so difficult to actually shift or change, these seismic shifts. So I love I the think, fact that you've got the fun element in there.
1: Yes. I think we've lost sight of the fact that life doesn't need to be all toil and struggle. Mm. Definitely we have challenges and people will feel stretched when they make a change, but there are ways to go about that, that they, and ways to approach that so that they can actually start to enjoy moving through those changes and achieving what they want or the business wants.
0: Now, in the book it says here, a simple three-step process to help you make effective and lasting change. And, of course, my curious side said, why three? Why not five or ten or one? Why did you pick three steps?
1: In all honesty, Jackie, I'm just keeping it simple. (laughs) It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. We are masters at complicating things. Mm. But if you follow these three steps, you're going to have all the tools that you need to make effective and lasting change.
0: So uh, rather than go through all three, because I recommend that people read the book uh, if they want to get the three steps, but can you just give us uh, an example of maybe one of those steps?
1: Sure. Well, I can definitely let you know what the three processes are. That's very easy. The book's set out to mimic the change process. So in any change, what you really need is you need a planning stage, a stage where you prepare to make the change, and then an action or execution stage. So that's the way the book has been set out in stages called Get Real, Get Ready, and then Get On With It. So one important thing, we've already spoken about clarity, getting clarity about what you want and why you want it, and being able to identify it. One really important thing that I think people overlook sometimes is in the planning stage. And it's to check in on your beliefs, to make sure that they actually support what you say you want. Mm. Because you don't actually get what you say you want, Jackie. You get what you believe. Now, if you have, if you say you want something, but you have beliefs around that that don't support it, you're in trouble before you even start you will absolutely find it really difficult, if not impossible, to make that change because you almost enter into like a tug-of-war with yourself. So it's so important that you actually make sure you have beliefs that support your change. And once they're congruent, it will change your experience completely. It's almost like you're sitting in the car and you put your foot down on the accelerator pedal Now, with your beliefs supporting you, you're releasing the handbrake. And that means that that resistance is gone and you can move forward easily.
0: Yeah, no one wants to be told you must change. And one thing I really liked about the book in the introduction, you said you can use this book in two ways. You can simply choose to read it and then return at a later time to apply the information and exercises in your life or focus on a particular change you want to make as you read the book and apply the information and complete the exercises as you go. Either way is fine. So thats I thought that was really clever because you're giving the reader a choice and so I then make the decision how I want to use the book and I make the decision, yeah, and you know what, I think I will want change and I might just pick one in my head and use that. And you're almost empowering the reader rather than you telling me what to do, which I think it's a human nature to resist being told what to do. Was that intentional? I wrote the
1: book as a resource for people rather than a once-off read and I think it's something you can return to whenever you find yourself stuck in a situation that you realise you want to change but you're not seeing that change happen. You can pop back there then and you can read through the book or I've actually included a checkpoint list at the back of the book. Once you've read it once you might just choose to go to that checkpoint list and actually remind yourself of the steps to take to make this change easily and if need be go to that particular section of the book and read it. The change is very personal, Jackie. Mm. Everyone will do change differently and that is absolutely fine. Some people want to take giant steps and other people want to just take a little baby step. However you do it is fine, Jackie. A slight change in direction will bring you to a vastly different destination over time.
0: Yeah, and I like the use of the cartoons, I'll call them cartoons, they're illustrations more like, uh, throughout the book. And, I, and it, it puts a fun factor again into it and makes it really, really easy to read and you've used quotes uh, throughout it. And the one I particularly like and particularly for our business listeners, most of them would have heard of Stephen Covey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the quote you use from him is, the key is not to prioritise what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. And I went, yeah, that's, that's a really, really good one. How did you come up with all your quotes? Where did you find them?
1: It's over years of reading and certainly some of them have jumped out at me when I've been reading specific books. And apart from that, I was writing the book and thought, now I need to have something to put just there. And so we would go and search for quotes specifically around that point that I was making in the book. But there, it is a quite a mix of business and personal uh, level quotes throughout the book. And I, I love each and every one of them. That's why I put them in
0: there. Yeah, well, this work that you're doing, this transformational coaching, is that, I suppose, facilitating and coaching that you're doing uh, with individuals and organisations? What led you to, to going down this path? Because I noticed that you had a background in emergency services. Are they r- related to where you are now?
1: <laughs> um, definitely, Jackie look, The work I do today with others really is a legacy of my previous work history So you are right, I have a history of working with emergency services And for years I dealt with people in crisis and stressful situations Day in and day out And look, over time that can really take its toll It skews the way you look at the world And it absolutely mucks with your enjoyment of life
2: mm. And I
1: think that back then Because of that, I started to explore ways to manage that. And so you start to research mindfulness, the way your mind works, um, how to reduce and manage stress, all with a view back then of how I could maintain balance in my own life while I was helping others.
0: Yeah, I know you've said in here the mind mind body spirit connection is emphasized in the multidisciplinary approach to the work that you now do and that was that multi-levelled approach i know a lot of uh, coaches and things sort of come from one dimension but the fact that you can use all those elements as you need like some people say you've got 10 different elements that you can call on some people yeah. might only want one but some might want eight or some might want 10 so you've yeah. got you've got that that resource that resource to, to do it. What was the uh, experience like writing your first book? I always like asking authors this because I, I often get, yes, a very similar response because writing a book is not easy and I don't know where people get that. I'm just going to write a book and think it's easy. But everyone has a different way of, of doing it and different process. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all with writing a book. What, what worked
1: for you? It was a bit of a love-hate relationship for me, Jackie, to be honest. So I've researched all these different templates and how to structure a book and how to write it. And in the end, that all went out the window and it became a very organic and intuitive thing. Um, And that's actually how I work with clients. I will make sure that what we put together actually suits them. So I tried to do it a particular way, but I ended up coming back to what works for me.
0: Yeah, well, whatever you did, it worked. Uh, you can find some more information about Karen at changingwillows.com, dot com, which is your website, and also there's a website for your book changemadeeasybook.com, dot uh, com, if you're wanting to find out a bit more about Karen Wilson and the work she's done. But I, I strongly recommend this book. It's, uh, it's, it's, it was great. It was a really easy read. Uh, learned some new things. It, it makes you. I suppose it's self-reflecting, but there's ways that are not difficult to make some little uh, small changes. And one of your testimonials on the book, and I thought this was nice, they said, this book is a powerful tool for transformation with easy-to-follow strategies to create massive change. Uh, so congratulations, Karen Wilson. I really enjoyed it. Thank you,
1: Jackie. Thanks for having me.
0: Always good talking to people like yourself. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this very small change. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a sought-after speaker, author, and award-winning coach. She has helped thousands of senior leaders and their teams learn to show up as the best version of themselves. I love that, to build their confidence and influence others. I'd like to give a very warm welcome to the show, Michelle Sayles. Hi, Jackie. Hello. Great to have you here. Now, this is a topic that I'm really fascinated about, and I think it's a really key one. Uh, particularly in this digital age, that there has been such a focus on the importance of communication and relationships. Uh, and in uh, and you talk about bouts of insecurity, that we've all had bouts of insecurity in the work environment. So how can we best deal with these moments when we're having those moments or imposter syndromes and other popular topic of that? So how can we best deal with those moments? Yeah, it's
2: really important and confidence is so critical to us all, and no matter what we're doing, uh, the best thing I love about confidence, Jackie, is that it's not something that you're either born with or not. So, it's very much a learnable skill, and that's just, I reckon, so empowering about yeah. confidence. Mm. Uh, yeah. But you know, it does wax and wane for all of us, and so you know, we can sometimes feel like we're on a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, so, really having an awareness of when we are at our best and what is contributing to that, what's giving us confidence, because it is different for all of us. But the starting point is really having a good sense of awareness about when our confidence is higher or when when is it lower and we need to boost it.
0: Yeah, so if we're in a meeting or we're we're pitching for business or there's some sort of business interaction and we can sort of have that awareness and then sense that lack of confidence is starting to overwhelm your performance are there any tips or tricks that that we can use any sort of uh, mental sayings or self-talk that would help us
2: yeah I like how you say self-talk because I think that's one of the really key aspects of it because we have uh, on average 65,000 thoughts a day which is massive and if that if our self talk is negative or critical, too critical, or or we're spending time comparing ourselves to other people and always finding us lacking, then we can go spiral downwards quite quickly. So catching ourselves, being really aware of that self-talk, reframing, and reframing to what we're good at. So rather than trying to work on improving all the things that we don't do so well, really just thinking about what are my strengths, what do I know that I do well, what gives, us, what gives me energy, and then doing that. So you know, if it's in the middle of a meeting, for example, um, think about how do I contribute in this meeting? What do I know? How can I do that? Think about your language so that you're not apologising and saying sorry before you even start speaking um, all of those things are really
0: important. I think that's a really good tip to not say sorry or draw attention to your weaknesses. Uh, you know, really focusing on what's strong, not what's wrong with you, I think is is a really key bit. And I I like this, this sort of self-awareness of your thoughts. So it's like you become a thought detective and monitoring your own thoughts and then having, I suppose, a script or some inspiration in place that self-talk to talk yourself out of it. Is that sort of where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I go, oh, yes, love I can. That. I can tell. I love it too. Now, mm-hmm. I, the thing is, I, I I spend a lot of time with women in business, and uh, and I often get a lot of people chatting to me, particularly business um, women, networking groups, and leaders, saying that. For their business women, confidence always comes up as their biggest challenge. Have you noticed any gender related uh, uh, issues with that from, from a confidence perspective?
2: I have, and I run um, a number of women's leadership programs, and obviously, the same as you, network with lots, lots of women. So, well, I, th- I think it's. Uh, I, so, the short answer is yes, I do notice it. Mm. I think there's a whole load of reasons for that you know, stereotypes, the role that um, women feel that we've had to play at work over many years, particularly women who work in very male-dominated environments and, you know, for just about their whole career, they've looked up and haven't had female role models, uh, have thought, this is what it's for me to be successful here and therefore perhaps have to show up in a way that's not really being true to themselves. Mm-hmm. And then every message they get kind of, you know, they're, they're comparing themselves to that and finding themselves lacking. So, confidence, I notice with women, particularly women in senior roles, kind of chipped away at over many years.
0: So, how do we turn that around? How can we actually, I suppose, promote or instill a bit more confidence in, in business women?
2: Um, so, understanding who you are and being true to that. So the real confidence you talked about at the beginning, the real is actually being really genuine and authentic about, you know, who you are, what do you value, what's important to you in life. Um, If it's about speaking up for women, sometimes um, what I notice with women more than men is um, we hide our voice or are quieter in different forums. Uh, because we are trying to avoid conflict, or we have a fear of being judged. Mm. Um, so, being able to experiment with finding your voice in different situations, and having people that support you and can offer you good feedback, all of those things really help. As well as having finding some really good role models that we can look up to. I love that um, mm. Madeline Albright quote: "You can't be what you can't see." And that's really mm. for women. You know, if we if we can't If we don't have good role models that we can see that this is what it's going to take to be more confident or to speak up or to stand up for yourself, then that's hard.
0: Yeah, well, um, our our brain as humans, we're wonderful pattern matches and we're looking for patterns and so we we need those role models. We need to be taught this is how you do it but also from people that – that that you can relate to. So as much as Oprah is wonderful uh, and a great role model, Hillary Clinton, uh, and there's some great ones, uh, you know, plenty around the world, plenty of women around the world, sometimes they can feel a little bit out of reach. So it's nice to actually look at someone and go, you know what, I can relate to them and they can do it, so maybe I'll, I might give it a go. Is that your it's, experience? Have you noticed that?
2: Absolutely, they're relatable. And I love that where you started and this program, Human to Human, uh, because it, it is absolutely rela- relatable, able to connect to, um, able to kind of not not see the things that you have to do to boost your confidence, even as being out of reach. In fact, I talk about um, boosting or building confidence, like building muscles, and we don't go to the gym and just start lifting 80 kilo hoops when we go to the gym, or I don't anyway. Uh, we, we actually start with smaller weights and we build up to it and confidence is the same. We don't have to jump so far outside of our comfort zone to build confidence. The smaller, um, more actions that we take every day to boost confidence is actually much more sustainable for us and that includes having role models that we can feel like we can connect to and see what those small actions are.
0: Yeah, and I think I think confidence has got a, a bad brand image if I was to go down that path. I think when you start saying you know, you need to build your confidence, you need to be more confident. A lot of people then think, oh, but that sounds like oh, I love myself or I'm promoting myself too heavily. And, of course, we all know in Australian culture this tall poppy syndrome. And I've seen a lot of uh, business people, men and women, learn a lot of stuff from the US, of course, that they're, they're a leader in so many fields in business and then they bring that format or the concept back into Australia and try to repackage it but it doesn't work because it's sort of selling, not telling, I suppose, in a way and it's too hard for our culture. So what what can we do to overcome that fear of tall poppy, I suppose? Yeah, and no, I think
2: I really like what you say, and I think the other thing that I also think is in line with that is the fake it till you make it. I think, you know, sometimes we mm-hmm. have to do that in the moment, but it only gets us so far for so long, and it can be exhausting if we're faking it. And so there's that element, and then there's the overdone confidence that we feel. Like in, you know, us Aussies, you know, we kind of can see through that pretty quickly. So if you're not being genuine and authentic about your, yourself and how we show up, then, you know, we see through that. So I think that having that starting point, like I said, of understanding who we are, who we really are, what we value and what we're about and what's important to us and then building the confidence to, you know, through understanding our strengths and our self-talk, all of those things that we've talked about, when we use that as the starting point and build the confidence from the inside out rather than looking at, okay, this is either a program, this is what I've been taught, this is um, a role model that perhaps is unattainable, perhaps thinking, if I just behave like that, then that'll be what I need to do. If we really build it from the inside out, then it's much more likely to be genuine and authentic and um, received well by those around us.
0: Yeah, uh, well, one of my techniques, which doesn't always work, I have to say, uh, but uh, you know, if someone asks me, can you do this, And and I know what I can and can't do. I'm I'm highly aware of my capabilities most of the time. And and I'll say, Yep, I'm I can do that and I'm really good at it and I've done it a thousand times before and this and this is I know this works, but what I do is balance it with but I can't do this. You know, I'm no good at this. And so I suppose it's just a, that balance of, yes, I'm really good at this, but I'm really bad at that. And uh, and I suppose that just sort of balances out the conversation and, it, you know, causes a few people to laugh as well, which sort of eases a little bit of that strain. <laughs> yeah,
2: totally. And I think, you know, saying yes, yes to things is is part of that, actually putting yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. As well, but what I also um, hear from what you're saying there is being able to be vulnerable about, you know, what we're not so good at, and that authenticity and realness in, in confidence. Um, when we can bring vulnerability to that, then I think that just makes it all the all the more real.
0: Yeah, and that, uh, you know, uh, making fun of yourself, I always say, I make fun of myself before I give it and other people a chance to, to do that, and that's that really authentic, uh, relatable human side of it. Now, you've put all these thoughts into a book, and I'm holding it in my little hand now, The Power of Real Confidence, Learn How to Lead to Your Full Potential, and I love this, step up, stand up, speak up, show up. Is this your first book, Michelle? It is my first book. Well, yeah. Congratulations! because It's an enormous achievement, uh, and and I and I had a I've had a I haven't had a good read, but I've had a, enough of read to get a sense of it. And I love all the the bits in it, and the, the bits about confidence are some really good practical tips and tricks of what to do. And one of the ones I love was the confidence barometer. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's.
2: Um because confidence waxes and wanes for us through our life, it's important that we have practices, I suppose, or disciplines that we're able to just reflect from time to time on where our confidence is at. Because when it's low, we know that we can make limiting choices. You know, We might not say yes to that project or that new job opportunity because we're just thinking that we're not quite ready for it. Um, we might not we might, you know, try to over over perfect our work because it's not quite right yet. So, being able to step back and reflect on where is my confidence at? If it's high, then well, if I'm feeling really good, then what is it? What are some of the things that's contributed to that? If it's low, then what's going on for me? So, rather than you know be six months down the track and you've had six months of feeling um, like your confidence is really low and you've been beating yourself up and making limiting choices, being able to catch yourself and assess where you're at and go, okay, what do I need to do about this?
0: And what I liked about it the most was confidence i think is talked about it's almost all or nothing you've either confident or you're not confident and i loved the fact that you looked at it like a barometer that that it, that it is fluid that it can be up and down and you can have some days it's like anything you know you have some days where you're feeling good other days you don't feel like you're on your game whatever it is but and confidence comes under that and I love the fact you've said here confidence is really in a complete level state no matter how hard we try to sustain our behavioural changes and I think acknowledging that accepting that and then coming up with some I suppose using or having a toolbox that you can actually then use for days that you're either feeling good or feeling bad
2: yeah totally and when before I started writing the book because I didn't actually think I would write a how to book you know how do you go about you yeah. um, know building confidence, yep. but I talk to most of my clients and many people who I've been working with over a long period of time and i really got a very strong sense from them that it's not just what is confidence, what does it mean, why is it important, but actually what do you do about it? Mm. How do you actually build confidence? How do you sustain confidence? How do you do that in an authentic way? So it was the how-to that was missing from a lot of this work.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's really good. And it leads into, I just want to very quickly touch on, I noticed you're currently studying positive psychology at the moment, which is a a real recent movement. I think it was 1998 or late 90s. Martin S- Seligman, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, and anyone who's wanting to know a bit more about positive psychology can see Seligman's work and a few other uh, outstanding thought leaders that he's collaborated with. And there's some wonderful uh, Information available on positive psychology. Uh, what is what led you to go down that path, Michelle? I
2: love um, yeah, I love his work as well. But I, I really love the overarching philosophy or with positive psych around. You get much better bang for your buck when you focus on your strengths rather than your weaknesses. Mm. Um, so I loved that, and it was if I can just tell you a little story about. Uh, me in the writing of the book. Cause I didn't particularly want want to write. I, English has never been that great. It wasn't my best subject. I didn't you know, love it at school. And uh, I was about a third of the way through the writing, and I did a strength profile for myself. I was doing some work with clients, and writing came up as a weakness. And I thought, and I struggled. You know, I, was, I set Fridays aside for writing and I did Pilates in the morning then went for a coffee and then I get to the afternoon and think oh I don't really want to write mm. so it wasn't a surprise it came up as a weakness but I had narrator come up as a unrealized strength and so I just took a totally different approach to the writing of the book where I told stories at the start of each chapter and it really got me into the flow of writing so you know that to me that's the whole philosophy of positive psychology L- really understand. Uh, what are your strengths and what are you great at? And if you start with that and leverage that, then we can do the same work but in a much better way.
0: Michelle's sales book the power of real confidence learn how to lead to your full potential it's a great read congratulations on your first book it's a great achievement and very clever the way that you put it together now anyone listening would like to know a bit more about Michelle she's on Twitter she's on LinkedIn she's on Facebook and michellesales.com.au all easy Thanks, Jackie. Terrific. Great talking to you. Lovely talking to you. Thank you, Michelle. You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Adolpfm. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is an author, a registered psychologist, holds an MBA and a PhD in leadership. The perfect combo today to talk about to talk about leadership and find out more with Leadership Specialist, I'd like to welcome Dr. Karen Morley. Thank you very much, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, Karen, every leader or business owner wants to lighten their load or reduce pressure on themselves. What are some of the techniques or tips that they could go about starting to think about how to reduce that pressure? Mm -hmm.
2: I think one of the most important things is to be able to uh, be mindful and keep focused on what it is that you really want to achieve in your role and in your organisation. So I think part of the problem for leaders is that they do get caught up very much um, in the 24-7 routine and the need to get everything done, and a lot of people are working across multiple time zones. And so, in a sense, a lot of leaders just go with that flow. I think that the smarter leaders and the leaders, who are more in control of that sort of workload are the ones who can mindfully stop and pay attention um, and keep, you know, one eye on what needs to be done now and what's important, but another one on the future and the kind of organisation they want to be in and the kind of leader that they want to be.
0: So what advice would you give uh, someone who is working on... By themselves, like they're—they're, they're, I suppose, they're their own leader. Uh, they don't have yeah. a team they're managing, but they're still feeling the uh, the the pressure. They're still feeling the the heavy workload. What are some? What's some advice that we could give solopreneurs or or micro business owners of how they could manage themselves better? Yes, and
2: this this will be advice I can give myself as well. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> I think. I think it's similar to being mindfully aware of what it is you want to achieve in the longer term. And I think, um, and I know from my own experience, that when you're working on your own, sometimes it's harder to do that. Um, So for me, a, a part of the way that I do that is to be a part of a broader community of people who are like me. Um, and that keeps reminding me of why I want to run my practice and how I want to run it and what I want to achieve. So I think that's one of the things. Um, And I find also setting up a a 90-day rhythm uh, around this is what I'm going to focus on for the next 90 days these three or four things are what's most important, and then setting up a kind of a rhythm on a daily basis, where you're you're working through your list, you're working through the tasks and the projects, and keeping focused on that. So. Um, as time seems to pass very quickly, you're still making sure that you achieve the things that you want to do because I think without that kind of accountability, it can be very hard. It can be very easy to just respond to what's coming up rather than to respond to what's perhaps longer term um, or more about the you know the practice or the business that you want to to own and be. It's
0: an interesting term rhythm. Why did you use that and not routine?
2: That's interesting. Maybe I'm a bit more kinesthetically focused. Um, But I do see it as more of a rhythm um, and something that occurs over something like a 90-day cycle makes sense. I think a routine... I guess a routine sounds a bit boring to me. You but you know they're actually quite so boring. And discipline things that yeah. you must do to be successful, whether you're working on your own or you're working in a larger organisation. And so having a rhythm that's about starting up over 90 days, looking at what you're achieving, and then at the end of that, you're reviewing that. Um, you're making note of, you know, what was hard, what was easy, what worked, um, and what, what you've actually achieved. So you're also noticing your progress. I think with a routine, it's more about these are the things I've got to do and keep doing. Mm, so yes. I think that there is that notion of a, a cycle which brings you to more of completion rather than something that's going on forever.
0: Yeah, look, I, I, I just, I, it got my attention and I thought it actually, is probably more accurate because it makes me when i'm looking at the word rhythm going with flow So it's like the e- ebbs and flows so the the routine mm-hmm. sounds very sort of task focused i suppose where mm-hmm. where the rhythm sort of gives you you know i'm i'm in a i'm in a good rhythm or i'm in a bad bit or i'm a bit bit um i'm feeling a bit tired or i'm feeling really good so you can actually work with that rhythm a little bit more and why 90 days Karen I think
2: that's long enough to get some things started if you want to take a fresher approach or you've got a new target market um, product that you want to work with. Um, and by the, the end of 90 days, if you've spent your time putting in some effort and had a go, experimented, you've had enough time to see whether that works or not. So whether or not you'll invest in that for the next 90 days.
0: Okay, um,
2: I think probably people who are working in different kinds of industries, there might be different seasonal patterns that it makes sense to perhaps pick um a different amount of time to feed into that sort of rhythm but i think 90 days um yeah, yeah it, it's enough time to try things and see whether or not they work
0: yeah no it's, it's a really really fascinating concept and i just want to have a quick chat about this book that you've your latest book because uh you've mm-hmm. written is it, is it is it your second book Yes, it is. It is, yeah. Great. We'll talk, uh, your first book was about gender balance leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, And I'm just, again, a a little bit curious there. How do men and women differ from a leadership perspective?
2: I think there are stereotypes that, you know, prescribe the ways that men and women can be and boys and girls can be. Um, And that means that they're the sorts of uh, patterns that we develop and what we're rewarded for. Um, and I think those patterns show up in uh, the kinds of roles we're interested in, um, and um, the sort of careers we seek. I mean, my view, just to to summarise it, is that I would like to take you know the gender constraints away from leadership. Um, and really open up, you know, the full range of behaviours to all leaders so that, you know, men can be caring, coaching leaders um, and women might sometimes be more directive, strategic leaders. Um, but, But we're not so constrained by the convention's um, of gender. There are a lot of discussions about women having particular characteristics that they bring to leadership, which are really positive. Things like being kind of caring and having more of a coaching approach and perhaps being better at managing team dynamics. Um, and men about it better at strategy and the bigger picture and perhaps some of the financial things. Um, but I think if we, if we, and open all of those options up to men and women, then that gives people more opportunities to find their own fit uh, in a more open way. And it also gives organisations more opportunity to fill different kinds of roles. And then rather than leadership being kind of one thing or the other, it's actually broader um, and it's more encompassing. That is and that means very refreshing. leaders can be more flexible to fit what's actually needed right now, what does the organisation need right now, do we need to drive and control um, and bring some things home, or is now the time when we need to think about growth um, and think about development and a lot more creativity and experimentation?
0: Yeah, I I think a focus on human nature uh, mm. because I think the gender does get very distracting uh, yes. as to the potential. And look, at the end of the day, it's about you've you know. Are you a natural leader? Do you have leadership capabilities? Do you have leadership skills? And uh, and we're not great at everything. We can't do everything because we're human. Mm. So mm. Fo- focus fun. on your strengths and then get a team around you to help support those areas that you're not so great at. So that's very refreshing. Now, that was your gender balance leadership. I just had to ask that's that. I was curious. That's a great conversation. That's a whole nother interview. That's another but let's one. let's get on to this that's current book. One. That's a big one. It sure is. Uh, let's get on to this current book, Lead Like a Coach. I loved the title of it, uh, How to Get the Thank Most you. Out of Any Team. So this Lead Like a Coach, I like this pay the coaching approach forward concept. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that?
2: Yeah, I think that one of the things um, about coaching is that it is fundamentally about development. Um, but it's also about getting work done. It's a particular style that's more supportive and can also be challenging. Um, So I think that in terms of paying it forward, when leaders are working with their team members, and they're coaching them. They're not necessarily just focusing on what's here and now, what has to be done today, or what has to be done tomorrow. The conversations they have are also about what needs to happen next year and and the year after, so that if there are enough leaders in the organisation who take that sort of approach, they're focusing both on now and the future, um, there is that opportunity to develop a culture where more people are thinking like that.
0: Yeah, right. I think that's a, that's a really really good good part. Now, your background as a as a psychologist, what techniques do you use from your psychology background uh, when you're talking about leaders and what can leaders do to improve themselves as leaders? What what are some tips and techniques that they could easily adopt?
2: Yeah. I think some really practical things that leaders can do. One, just Structure some coaching into the daily routine. I mean, there's quite a bit of research that shows that leaders have a lot of the skills that they need to have to be coaches, but they're not necessarily confident about using it or they wait or think that there needs to be you know, a big coaching conversation. And if instead of seeing it like that, they see it as something that can be done um, every day and make it a routine, you might spend a few minutes thinking about somebody that you want to have a coaching conversation with, go and have that right now. It might be that you're walking from one meeting to the next and you're with somebody and instead of answering the question that they put to you, you might ask a question back, you know, have you or how might you think of that? What are some alternatives to how we might go about that? So that's coaching. It doesn't have to be big. Um, And, in fact, the research that comes out of psychology shows that by breaking behaviour into very small component parts of micro behaviours, things that are quite easy to do, they're much easier to become uh, or to turn into new habits. Uh, So uh, structure something, make it small, do it often... Um, And again, probably in in your 90 days, you'll see that there's a difference that's being made. Um, So I think that's one of the core things um, that leaders need to do. And I I think I've hinted at another, which is to ask questions rather than answering them. Um, I think uh, a lot of leaders feel the pressure of needing to have the answers. um, And also in the fast pace of work, it's quicker to answer so sort of biting your tongue from time to time and instead of answering, even if you do know the answer, asking the question so that the other person has the opportunity you know, to, to stretch their minds and to think differently about what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, I think um, that's wonderful advice, Karen, about... Or you know that m- mirroring technique of uh, someone asks you a question rather than feeling that pressure to give them an answer, ask mm-hmm. them a question back. Get them to think a little bit deeper about it because uh, sometimes we can take shortcuts, uh, mm-hmm. and and I think that's a really easily adopted tip. Yeah that uh, most leaders can use. Uh, Now, your book, just to remind our listeners, we are talking to Dr. Karen Morley. She has written another great book called Lead Like a Coach, How to Get the Most Out of Any Team, and it's available at all good bookshops. And if anyone would like to know a bit more about Karen, you can find her on Twitter. And, of course, you can find her on LinkedIn. And her website is Karen Morley dot com au and we'll put a link to our facebook page as well karen thank you so much for your time today
2: thank you very much jackie thank i've enjoyed you. it
0: That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot. The podcast will be on the website, arteballpfm.com.au, and you can connect with me to continue the conversation, Jackie Mitchell, on social media or at brandstorm.com.au. Thank you today to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.